And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Thursday, April 2nd, 2020. I have today's guest on the line. Mary Beth Harper is the director of the Elmhurst Public Library. I can't even say it. Public Library. Welcome, Mary Beth. How are you? Hey, Rich. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, Hanging in there. Uh, You know, the last time you were so kind to join us here on the Lowdown, we actually recorded in the Elmhurst Public Library studio, and we all uh, enjoyed being introduced to that space. And after the show... P.K., Robbie, and I all agreed you were a great guest, and you have a very soothing, natural radio voice. So we use your promo frequently in our other shows, and we were actually afraid that you might be competition for us at some point. <laughs> that is really interesting, and that's the first time I've heard that, and that is the probably the last time I'll hear that. Uh, but I, don't know, I, have no, I have no intentions of starting a podcast, but thank you for saying that. got enough on your plate, right? So I know the... Yeah, um, I- I know the library building has been closed to visitors for a couple of weeks, but the library itself is uh, isn't just a building. You continue to uh, deliver services. So would you would you mind kind of giving us an overview of how the library is operating during the pandemic in light of the shelter at home order? Sure. Yeah. So, Rich, you're absolutely right. You know, prior to this um, crisis, I would say our job was always to welcome people into the library. Although we always did have a, a fairly strong online presence with downloadable books and videos and music and all kinds of other things. And now we've just really stepped that up. So we're happy we have something we can still offer to patrons, but it really is strange not having people in our building and not being able to serve patrons in that real one-on-one personal way that we're, get, we're so used to doing what we've been doing for so long. We, we have, since this happened, to really ramped up all of our online services since Our staff is working from home. They've been creating all kinds of online content and then changing things to make things more accessible for our patrons, too. And I can detail all those ways if you'd like me to. Sure. I'll I'll, I'll maybe ask you a few questions, and then if you you want to expound, that would be great. Um, So uh, you mentioned that your staff's um, working from home. Do you have online meetings periodically with certain staff members? And how, how is that going? Or, or online or on phone, I guess, is, you know, how are you doing that? Yeah, we are having online meetings. Most of them we're doing via Teams, which is in um, Outlook, and we have some on Zoom. And basically all of us have been meeting regularly with our departments. And then management team is a meeting at least twice a week. And then there's offshoots of each of those teams meeting in different departments, too. And a lot of people are creating content for the website getting things up and running, and uh, we're just checking in with other managers all the time to plan some of the things we have to do right now, and then also to plan for when we eventually reopen the library. So the video video conferencing and I guess video meetings have been going well. Uh, I still think it's a lot nicer to meet in person, and I look forward to getting back to that once we reopen. No kidding. But it certainly, yeah, it certainly has been, I mean, thankfully we have this ability to do this now because I can't imagine not having that ability. You know, I almost wonder if there's, I wonder if there's some folks that you've seen that you might not have known had, had creativity inside of them really become creative during this time. Do you have a few of those that, that you've noticed? You know, it's been so 
interesting. Our staff is, I think, by nature, really creative. We do a lot of program planning and um, crafty type things, but it's been so interesting to see people flourish even more in that way. And also to just see the level of organization that exists to be able to compile all this information and get it out there on our website remotely. Mm -hmm. I'm really always amazed at what staff is doing. And we just had our management meeting this morning and I had to say again, watching some of these videos staff is putting together and the different classes they're offering and how creative they've been to deliver services online with no prior notice to any of this happening and just having to really kind of flip a switch to make this work. And within two weeks, we've got all this content up there and we're producing all these different things. It's just been amazing to see. And I have to say, I'm really pleased with, as you say, the level of creativity my staff has been exhibiting and just the organization and the, the knowledge, uh, the technological knowledge to be able to get all this stuff up and going so quickly. I bet. So in terms of your trustees, have, have they been continuing to meet remotely also? So we had our board meeting, I think we closed on the 14th and then our board meeting was the 17th. So it was the Tuesday right after we closed. So I was scrambling. That was our regularly scheduled boarding board meeting. And by law, we have to have our board meetings and they have to be open to the public and all that. So I was scrambling that first day. We went back into the office on Monday to talk with our lawyers and figure out how we were going to host this meeting, much like every other public entity was doing. Ours right. just happened to be two days after. And then the, the governor did issue the executive order stating that boards could meet remotely. They did not have to have a quorum present in order to vote. So that really helped us out. So what I was able to do was have all my board members call in. We conference called in and three of us, myself, the assistant director and our um, HR manager were able to be at the library and we live streamed the meeting via YouTube and also had a section where we posted previous prior to the meeting that people could, patrons could actually email me during the meeting if they had a public comment to make because we also have to make sure we're including our public in the meeting and that our public has the ability to comment. So it was wow. very interesting. It was, uh, we had to do it quickly. We had to get it up and running and it did work. So my board members were all, were there, the ones who were supposed to be there. I had a couple board members that were, out and we're planned to be out for that meeting, but we did have a quorum and we were able to get our business done in order to pass, you know, pay bills and do things like that. And we will plan to hold the board meeting, which is, um, on April, sorry, the third week, third Tuesday in April, we'll plan to hold that much the same way in a similar fashion. Well, kudos, so to, it worked uh, out. kudos mm -hmm. to you and your tech team and your board for being able to pull yeah. that off in such short order. <laughs> that couldn't have been easy, especially because of the, the public part of it um, right so i know one of the yeah that was probably the hardest part I go bet. ahead yeah i know one of the toughest decisions you've had to make and and yet maybe at the same time one of the easier decisions when you really looked at it was to close the drive-up service so can you, you talk about that a little bit sure so i think when this originally happened there was some question or even when we started seeing this whole thing kind of heating up the weeks before the the actual closing thing, well, there was some talk about, wow, well, if this did happen, would we be able to keep drive-up services open and what, what services could we keep open? And first we canceled all programs and thought, okay, we'll cancel programs. Those are group gatherings. The rest of the library will stay open. And then, as I think you know, within hours, this thing was just changing. So then it was, okay, well, now the whole library is canceled following along with what all the other community entities were doing and also what other libraries were doing. And then, of course, 
the governor issued the whole shelter in place. So there was no question of any of that happening anymore. So, um, we did have some comments from patrons who wished we had kept the drive up open. And I kind of think that's a moot point now too, because everything has changed since even that initial closing on the 14th. But if we were to keep that drive up open, I can tell you we would have so much business that it would actually be unsafe for me to have to staff the library in order to um, service those patrons. And also I think it's kind of, we'd be sending the exact wrong message that the governor said, only non-essential businesses are supposed to stay open to service people. And although we really believe our library is essential, and I think a lot of people in our community do too, it's not essential in the same way that a pharmacy is essential or a grocery store is essential or a healthcare center is essential. Right. So. so you do have, um, you, know, you mentioned some services you're still providing and quite a bit of new ones every day, but do you have basic like reference librarian services? Or, and I noticed you have chat with a staff member. Is that the same thing? Yeah, so we have we have up and running text, chat, and phone service available, and that is available for all uh, previously open hours that the library had previously been open. So that's nine to nine Monday through Friday, nine to five Saturday, and one to five Sunday. Um, we're also working to get video reference up. And I just in our meeting this morning with the department heads, um, I found out that we did have ninety-two different um, transactions, online reference transactions, so far this week, which is really great. It That's really impressive. picked up from last week, yeah, when we first introduced. And I think last week, all the questions were about, oh, where can I return my books, and what do I do about books and you know items. So this week it had been more questions, actual reference questions. So that's wonderful. Um, the other thing we did is we opened up online library card registration so that we can actually give library card numbers out to people so they can access our online um, formats and, and items. And the card will expire once the library reopens and they'll have to come in to get the physical card. But what's good about this now is that there's people who maybe the wife had a card and the husband didn't and the kids didn't. And now they can get everyone a card and that just gives them the availability of having access to even more items via the online services because there are some limits. Well, you definitely Although answered one of my questions limits. there. That was that was one of my questions. Um, how about returning books that are that are due? What's your uh, policy on that? So we have waived all fines on anything that is checked out right now. We do not want anything returned because we have no way of handling it right now and having staff in there to check it in and get it all sorted and all that stuff. So we want everyone keeping everything. When we reopen, we will give instructions on how to return those books. And then we have to also figure out what we're going to do to make those books safe again to relend. And we're meeting and listening to other libraries and um, watching webinars from the Museum and Library Services of uh, the um, Nation and just trying to figure all that stuff out so we can assure patrons that once we reopen and they do return all the materials, there'll be some sort of a, sort of a quarantine period most likely for all those return materials mm -hmm. and a disinfecting time, and then we'll get them back on the shelf so they're safe again. So you, you mentioned all the all the uh, availability of magazines, e-books, audio books, movies, mm -hmm. music. Where should somebody start that hasn't tried that before on the website? And I know the website address is what, ElmhurstPublicLibrary.org? Yes. Library org, And if they just go right to our website, and I'm going to it right now, 
and they go under eLibrary, which is right on right underneath the main slider there. Under eLibrary, they can see all the different things that we have available online. There's also on one of the main sliders on the main website, there's the EPL at Home, which is another part of some of the online content we've been creating. But that eLibrary, they can just sit there from their own homes and explore all the different resources we have. And of course, if they have any issues trying to access any of it, they can call us anytime that the library would normally be open and we can walk them through those different processes in order to use their card or get online or so register or whatever. Kind of like um, online tech help at a, at a low level. I mean, you're not, you're not diagnosing yep. their computer, but you're helping them with your, your website and navigating. That's great. Yeah, for sure. How is, exactly. Um, do you, do you have, um, have you had conversations with the local school districts as it relates to them moving to an e-learning environment? I know our children's librarians have had talks with the school district, and I know we're keeping up to date with what they need and whatever they need from us, however we can support them, we will. So book lists and things like that, I think, online, and if we can, if we have e-resources that they can use, because a lot of these databases that have e-resources or the, the online capabilities also have kids' materials, too, so that's good to know, and reference materials to help them out. So I saw a Facebook post this morning encouraging children to join online for songs, stories, and other activities. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about that. So our children's librarians have been performing story times online, which is wonderful. In fact, someone just sent a picture to me today of a family. A mother must have taken a picture of the kids watching the story time, and there maybe were five kids there. And you can see our librarian in the background on the TV, on the screen, reading the, uh, the book to them. And it was really cute to see, and I'm sure that'll be posted to our social media soon too. So really exciting that our librarians are able to do that too and hopefully provide a little bit of entertainment or diversion for those kids and families stuck at home. So, so changing gears a little bit to more um, philosophy, uh, do you think mm -hmm. that because a lot of folks are going to be introduced to e-books that this might permanently change their library experience for, for a certain portion of your patrons? Um, it might, although I think ebooks have been out there for a long time now. It might get more people into reading them and listening and doing all that stuff, which is great because we do provide that. What's really interesting is I've been, I didn't, I was starting to do an analysis of library checkout statistics in the months prior to this happening for my own reference and to plan for the future and budgeting and stuff. And what we had found is that books were declining in circulation very gradually. So not anything like audiovisual material. So the things that were really being affected by anything online or streaming were definitely movies, music, of course, and uh, any, any AV type material, which kind of makes sense to all of us, I'm sure, when you think about how much streaming there is available now. Right. So in planning for the future, we had already kind of known that. And in seeing where the book is going, the book is declining in circulation, but very gradually, not anything like, um, CDs or DVDs or, or even audiobooks. So I think it'll change. I'm sure more people will get involved in it. But the big thing in the libraries today, too, is not just the materials we're checking out, and it has been this for years now, for a couple years at least, is the space. The space, the people getting together, the people coming to programs, the people 
wanting some sort of connection, the use of the meeting rooms, the, the, the business people who work from home who need to get out of the house and have a workspace to work in, the kids who come to play. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see how that changes what happens at least in the beginning after the library reopens as a large space that promotes many people coming into a building. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're working with other libraries and kind of watching what other entities are going to do because I think so many of us, not just libraries, but restaurants and stores and movie theaters and all kinds of places are really going to be seeing how this affects us. I also think though that maybe and hopefully if this whole thing goes away somehow miraculously or dies down or we develop a vaccine, there's going to be so many people who are so ready to get out and go and do that. That'll be wonderful. if We can get to that point too. So, <laughs> so uh, full disclosure to our listeners, I kind of gave you a heads up that I was going to ask you if you had your, your own version of Oprah's book club, do you have a few books that maybe you're off people's radar or maybe on that you would, recommend right now that are available at, on e-platforms? Sure. So I made a list. I went through my uh, my libraries that I have here right on my phone. So the nice thing is if you do access our online resources, be it either Overdrive or the Cloud Library or Hoopla or Canopy, a lot of times it, they do keep a log of what you've listened to or read. And I do a whole lot of listening because I drive back and forth usually to work. My drive is about 45 minutes. So most of the stuff I'm going to give you are books that I've listened to, although I think they'd probably also be great in the written format. And all the books that I'm going to talk about right now are available on either Overdrive, Libby, or Hoopla. So uh, recently I listened to The Shortest Way Home by Pete Buttigieg. It was really a good listen, and he reads the book himself, which I always like when the author reads it. The other book I always recommend is Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. It's funny and entertaining, and it's great for both males or female readers or listeners. And uh, another one I really enjoyed recently was a book called Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keene. That was available on Overdrive, and I it was fiction, but I found it interesting and uh, well-written, and she, uh, the reader who read it was a good reader, too. Um, one of my favorites recently has been Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeymoon. It's a quirky book, and it's just kind of heartwarming, and it's a great feel-good during these stressful times. And then another real interesting book, which was nonfiction, was called Dope Sick by Beth Macy. Uh, that's a book about the opioid epidemic, and I found it fascinating in a, in a not-so-great way, but just really... a a well-written book and well-researched book about what had prior to this been another uh, epidemic in our world that everybody had been hearing about and I'm sure will continue to. But the other, and then the other thing is uh, on Hoopla, a good old classic, which I had never read in high school that I really enjoyed was The Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. It was, it was so good. And again, just another kind of heartwarming book, good book for these days. And I'm also going to recommend... Go, oh, go ahead, ahead you're, what? You're giving Oprah a run for her money. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, you're talking to a librarian yeah. here. I, I also recommend um, on Canopy, which is on our website, which is a video service, uh, the Everyday Guide to Wine, which is part of the Great Courses series, if anyone's familiar with that. There are 24 half-hour episodes, and they're all taught by a woman who has a master's in wine, 
which is even higher than a sommelier if you know anything about wine. And these classes are great. They, they're in-depth classes about wine, and I think it's a great time for people to sit at home. And I know a lot of the, the I'm not promoting this, but hey, the, the, the some of the um, uh, liquor stores are actually delivering, or you can drive them and pick up. But she goes through all these wonderful lessons about learning about wine and, and different regional varietals, and then she takes you all through the European varieties and the New World varieties and New Zealand and Australia. So it's, it's really a fun fun lesson and it will take up a ton of your time so if you're bored at home and you want to do something it's a great uh, lesson to get through and we know the liquor um, so those, industry is one industry that's not suffering right now that's what i heard i just saw a little report on that i'm not i'm not I'm promoting responsible drinking but these are great classes you can even take them without drinking we've done them at the library before in our wine club we do not serve alcohol at the library but the wine club has listened to these lessons and they're, they're really fun to watch. So, Thank you for uh, sharing that list with us. Sure. Um, the organization is the Elmhurst Public Library. The website is elmhurstpubliclibrary.org. Our guest has been Mary Beth Harper. Thank you for joining us, Mary Beth. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. This is Mary Beth Harper, director of the Elmhurst Public Library, and you're listening to the E-Town Lowdown with your hosts, Robbie and Rick, but PK is the one with all the talent. And now... It's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. Hey, boys and girls. Did you know that a famed poet, author, and musician Carl Sandburg once called Elmhurst home? That's right. One Ponce a Time, Sandberg moved into our community with his wife Lillian and their three daughters in 1919 and lived here until 1928. Their modest frame house, built by Peter Terode in the late 1850s, stood at 331 South York Street. While living in Elmhurst, Sandberg would, would win the first of his three Pulitzer Prizes. During his time here, he kept busy with a number of important projects that would continue to burnish his reputation. With his typewriter perched on an old orange crate, Sandberg spun poetic verse, children's tales, and even an iconic biography of America's 16th president. By the time he left here for Michigan in 1928, he had established himself as one of America's most important and evocative writers. So let's take a little deeper. Uh, Sandberg was born, he's an Illinoisan by birth. He was born in Galesburg in 1878. And before he comes to Elmhurst, he already has um, quite an interesting uh, career. He had studied at Lombard College. He had served in the 6th Regiment of the Illinois Volunteers during the Spanish-American War. And he'd already published several uh, successful books of verse, including his Chicago poems and Cornhuskers. And also uh, had a side job working for Chicago Daily News, writing movie reviews, uh, covering labor news, and even had a feature column for a while. His nine years in Elmhurst are extremely productive. Uh, he spins stories uh, that he told to his three daughters, Margaret, Janet, and Helga, into his first children's book, The Rutabaga Stories, and follows this with a second children's book in 1923, before turning to some much more serious fare. In 1926, he publishes his critically acclaimed biography of Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln the Prairie Years, and begins a compilation of 280 ballads and folk songs from all over the United States, which he is going to dub the Great American Song Bag. Uh, it's uh, still a, a, an 
incredible work, really. Uh, he continues his passion for poetry as well. He creates four new books of verse while he's living here, Smoke and Steel, Slabs of the Sunburnt West, Selected Poems, and Good Morning America, and also lectures and performs extensively during the span. He's a very talented musician as well. Now, while Sandberg and his family uh, left Elmhurst in 1928, he's going to come back in, the, in 1960, actually, for a very special honor. Elmhurst Junior High School invited our literary giant to the rededication of the school as Carl Sandberg Junior High School in May of 1960. And during his remarks, the inspirational author, poet, and performer shared these words with faculty and students. You may become witnesses of the finest and brightest era known to mankind. The nations over the globe shall have music, music instead of murder. It is possible. That is my hope and prayer for you and the nation. Sandberg died in North Carolina in 1967, and we still have at the Elmhurst History Museum uh, some of his home movies of the family's time in Elmhurst and the typewriter he used while he lived here on display in the second floor gallery. A magnificent piece, and though the typewriter is silent, it is a living link to a legendary giant here in Elmhurst. Wow, Dave. Now that's a guy Pete Kruger would like working for him over at the Elmhurst Independent. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.